0: This morning we are going to be talking about victory in isolation and as we gather virtually this morning we're mindful that the presence of God unites us. So good morning and welcome even though we're doing this from a distance. Um, These can be isolating times that we're living in right now. Uh, We're spending more time, some of us, at home, perhaps now more than any other season in life. And it's good for us to see that Jesus navigated seasons of isolation in his life and emerged victorious. And so this morning, we're going to look at Jesus's victory in isolation. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, starting in verse 16. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and for 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say that people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Satan tempts Jesus two more times in this story, and Jesus responds two more times with scripture. And then finally, in chapter four, verse 10, Jesus says, Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Church, this is the word of God this morning. Let's, let's pray as we enter into its study. And Jesus, Father, this, this morning we pray to you in Jesus' name for us to see King Jesus as victorious. Father, help us to see Jesus' victory and to discover and to find our place as children of God in Christ. Help us to find our victory. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us understanding as we consider your word this morning. Holy Spirit, teach us and lead us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Jesus walked in victory, even in this wilderness isolation. And So in these strange and isolated times that we're living in right now, it is good for us to see and to remember that we have a friend in Jesus. Living under the current stay-at-home order as we all are, it's brought about a physical separation in all of our lives. It feels like a form of wilderness isolation right now, doesn't it? And we're not physically gathering as a church as we normally would, as we would love to. We're not physically gathering with friends as we normally would like to. I was at the farm stand down the road the other day, and I felt like a leper as other customers were leaping to get out of my way to to aggressively socially distance themselves from me. I mean, this distance, this distancing is extended uh, deep into our bank accounts. Uh, countless businesses are forced to be closed and are struggling to not close forever. Millions of families have lost their source of income. Uh, unemployment is growing. Men and women are taken out of their jobs. We're taken out of fellowship. We're taken out of physical companionship. We're taken out of our routine. We're, we're taken out of the outdoors. And all of these new experiences... Of separation have created a form of isolation. Now, this may sound bad, but uh, normally I would crave isolation personally. I even drive to the, the, the desert canyons of Utah to pursue isolation, but I found myself now, I no longer have to seek isolation. I live from a place of isolation. I recently heard someone compare this strange season that we live in now. Comparing it to solitary confinement, right? As in prison. And curious as I am, I went and watched an a, a interview on YouTube, and man, this was a heavy interview. It's a guy named Albert Woodfox, and Albert Woodfox spent 43 years in prison. 21 of those years he spent in solitary confinement. Solitary confinement, you are in a a six by nine foot, six foot by nine foot concrete cell with no windows for 22 and a half hours out of the day. And then for an hour and a half, they let you into the yard, which is a 10 foot wide by 12 foot long concrete cell with no windows, but it just doesn't have a roof on it. So I'm not sure anyone could prepare for that form of isolation. But at 20 years old, this guy, Albert, was completely unprepared the more than two decades he would spend isolated in this way. He said he spent the first several days counting cinder blocks and counting paint chips and trying to time the spaces between sounds he might hear while in isolation. After a few days, he experienced intense loneliness and intense desire just for some kind of connection with someone. He would try to communicate with other prisoners when he was out in the yard for an hour and a half each day, yelling over the the, the concrete walls, over the open ceiling to try to get some form of communication. And he would find often that his other inmates that were in solitary confinement had either lost their mind or they were on the road to insanity. He spent hours searching for insects or spiders, anything living so that he could have a connection with something else. There were no windows or openings in his cell just a vent and the sound from the vent would mesmerize him. He would sit, he said, sit in silence, focusing on the sound and that the sound to him in his mind would turn into a whisper and he would start to whisper back, pleading for the vent to speak up and to speak more clearly. He compulsively cleaned his toilet and his walls, sometimes out of boredom. Sometimes out of delusional, fanatic beliefs that that germs were entering into a cell somehow. See, in isolation, Albert struggled to remain physically healthy, emotionally healthy. He struggled to remain sane. He struggled to remain intellectually sharp. He had to resist the temptation to give in to isolation. Because in isolation, there can be so much empty time for empty thoughts and empty ideas. And in isolation, Albert found himself longing for something, anything that was real, so that he could have a connection with reality. Everything was confusing to him. Time, without any windows, the time of day was confusing, the seasons, east from west, even air blowing from a vent. Listen, church, this is a good picture and a good warning for us, I believe, because isolation can be a devastating experience if we're not prepared for it. This is perhaps the true power of solitary confinement and why the prison system finds it valuable as an incentive for good behavior in prison. Well, thankfully, that is not our fate in this season of isolation. Thankfully, when we read our Bibles, we see that isolation is used by God for the good of his people. Israel was led through a season of isolation in the wilderness for 40 years And as a nation, they learned to trust God and become God's people again. Paul was imprisoned in isolation. And in isolation, he was filled with joy. He was filled with worship. He saw the Lord move powerfully in isolation. In the wilderness, Jesus, from the passage we just looked a little bit, we looked at a little bit, he is starving. He's tempted by Satan, but he clings to truth. He repels temptation, remains sinless. And walks in victory and ultimately we see it's in utter isolation the isolation of the cross where jesus lays his sinless body down as a sacrifice for us in order that we might be welcomed back to god as god's own children from isolation that victory is declared see jesus experienced an isolation on the cross that we can't comprehend rejected by his own people betrayed by his friends persecuted and brutally tortured by the government, Jesus arose victorious from isolation. See, in Jesus, we have a friend who knows the struggle of isolation. That is good news for us, church. And today, I'd like to look at Jesus in isolation and how he wasn't overcome by it, but actually came out of, he came out victorious in isolation. And take a look at what this means for us, because God is calling us to victory, even in isolation, in the midst of loneliness or confusion or frustration or fear. And in the midst of uncertainty in this season, God brings victory. And we see this victory in Jesus's victory over his wilderness isolation. And Jesus, notice, doesn't claim victory in isolation by avoiding temptation or avoiding isolation, Jesus is victorious in isolation by overcoming temptation and overcoming isolation. And so as we live out these strange days, these days filled in a form of strange isolation, experiencing a a strange separation from others, let's look at how Jesus prevailed victorious. And here's what Jesus' victory in isolation looks like for us. Jesus, we see three things in this passage in Matthew. First of all, Jesus leaned into the word of God. Jesus walked in the peace of God, and Jesus was led by the Spirit of God. Now, we're going to look at each of these three things one at a time, and they'll come up on, this, on your screen, hopefully. First, we see that Jesus leaned into the Word of God. Here's Jesus. He's in the desert. He's alone. He's fasting, right? That means no food for 40 days. This guy's hungry, all right? He's starving. And he's focused on God the Father in the midst of all of this. How can I tell? Well, I can tell that he's focusing on God the Father because it's God's words that Jesus speaks each time he experiences temptation. He doesn't speak his own words to Satan. He speaks the words of truth that come from the word of God. Jesus is dwelling on the Father. And three times, Satan tempts Jesus to think differently, to feel differently, and to act differently in light of his isolation, And in his isolation, in Jesus' intense hunger, in his loneliness, in his discomfort, Jesus speaks God's words, not his own. He doesn't react from his feelings or from his emotions or from his circumstances. Jesus reacts and speaks from the unchanging, unwavering, unaffected promises of God's word. That is so good for us to look at. It's been so encouraging for me to see because in our isolation, we all experience temptation as Jesus was tempted. We're tempted to think differently in light of what is happening in the world right now. We're tempted to feel differently about ourselves, about God, about the culture around us. We're tempted to act differently as the world changes and as the world is behaving differently now. But just imagine Jesus in his isolation, 40 days without food. And then Satan is tempting Jesus to turn stones into bread. Imagine that. You're starving. And it's like, Jesus had the power to do that. He, he could have done that. It'd been easy for him. Just fresh, warm bread cracking in his hands. You, you could probably tell by the shape of my body that I would have been all over that. That would have been a tough one for me. See, we all have cravings that we're tempted to satisfy. And they're not just physiological ones like that, feeding your, your physical hunger with bread, but also things we're tempted people please we're tempted to gossip we're tempted to engage in slander to turn the tv on and listen to people slander other people all day every day we're tempted to worry we're tempted to strive see in our isolation we can be victorious over these things not by avoiding those temptations but by overcoming them how we stand on we cling to truth just like jesus did See, to defend himself, Jesus turned to the words that came from the mouth of God, and so can we. See, the psalmist understood and valued the word of God also. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the psalmist says that your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I uh, See, the word of God can illuminate our path, and that is an amazing blessing for us, especially right now when it, it can seem unclear what path, are we even on a path? The word of God will illuminate our path. But see, if we use the word of God only to light up our path, we're going to miss out on the real power of Scripture. See, the word of God is much more than just simply a magic flashlight for us to use when we're confused or we feel like we're in the dark. Yes, Jesus depended on the word of God to help him stay on the path of his life, yes. But Jesus also used the word of God as his weapon. He put Satan in his place with Scripture, With truth. The writer of Hebrews describes this power, this kind of weaponized power of the Word of God, and he describes it as a powerful living sword. In uh, Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now, the idea of a double-edged sword, it makes me think of both having to defend myself and also attacking. You want a double-edged sword in battle because you don't have to worry about what end of the sword is facing out. And in the wilderness, Jesus faced the enemy. And Jesus' mind would have been bombarded by tactical temptations. How do I deal with the circumstances around me? Do I snap back? Uh, Do I act in anger? Do I uh, argue with minced words in a hot temper? Do I allow myself to fall into a deep introspective depression? See, Jesus doesn't do those things. He uses scripture. He stands on truth to not only light the path that he's on, but also to defend himself. It was the best weapon available to defeat the enemy. And Jesus knew that this battle that he was in, it wasn't a physical battle with Satan. It was a spiritual battle. And what better weapon to have in a spiritual battle than the word of God, than a double-edged, double-edged sword. As we live in isolated times, church, it is vital for us to be armed and to be ready if we want to experience victory. This is the best season for us to lean into the word of God, to really press into scripture, to read and meditate on and speak about and actually know what the Bible says. It's the best season to learn how to wield the truth in our defense as we confront temptation. See, in this truth, there's freedom and there's victory, even in isolation. And so we don't avoid temptation. We speak words of truth over temptation. We declare victory over temptation. And how did Jesus walk in victory over temptation? While well, in isolation, he spent time in, he memorized, he leaned into, and he spoke the Word of God. Church, let's use this time to be in the Word of God, leaning into and speaking truth into our sphere into our isolated little sphere. See this Jesus leaned into the word of God as the first way we see him walk in victory and isolation. The second way that Jesus walked victoriously in isolation is that he walked in the peace of God. And Jesus demonstrated a powerful peace in his 40 days in the desert. Uh, many of us long for peace right now, for sure, right? In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of, in the midst of all this change, in the midst of all the loss that some of you are experiencing, well, in the midst of Jesus' wilderness uncertainty and change and loss, he resists temptation to satisfy his own needs. He resists the temptation to satisfy his own desires even. See, what Satan was doing while Jesus was in the wilderness is he was tempting Jesus to worry about whether God would really come through for him, right? If Jesus had given into this temptation to meet his own needs, to satisfy his appetite, Jesus would have been demonstrating a lack of trust in God the Father to provide for him. See, in the same way we are tempted right now by Satan to worry in our isolation. And when we allow our thoughts to be consumed with satisfying our needs, we are drawn into the snare of worry and anxiousness in life. And I've found in my life that worry and anxiousness come when I focus on what I feel I'm lacking rather than focusing on all that I have in Jesus. See, when we consume our thoughts with what we lack, what we're really doing is we're tormenting ourselves with concerns and with thoughts about the things that we feel that we're missing. And so many of us, probably all of us from time to time, we can struggle with worry and anxiety in this way. And see, here's my problem. When, when I get to that point, when I get into a, a worrisome pattern or an anxious pattern in my life, I try to head it off before it becomes a anxiety deep in my heart. And the way I do that is I try to take control of things myself. And I reason that if I can control something, if I can get out ahead of it fast and first, then I won't have to worry, right? And so time and time again in my life, I've tried that. But let me speak from experience and share that this is precisely the wrong strategy. In my experience in my life, I've found that the heart of worry and anxiousness is not simply a lack of control. I found in my life that the heart of worry and anxiousness is a lack of trust in God. See, worry and anxiousness, what I'm doing when I'm giving myself to worry and I'm giving myself to anxiousness, I'm questioning the word of God, the promises of God, the character of God. I question God who has promised to take care of my needs. I end up questioning God who's promised to never leave me. And so our worry and our anxiousness, it's really an expression of the doubt that's hiding deep down. We doubt that God will really come through for us when we need Him. And that is exactly how Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Church, God wants to give you victory over your worry and over your anxiousness, even in this crazy, isolated season. Jesus was very clear when he spoke about worry. Let the words of Jesus, as he's, he's like in full pastor mode here, just shepherding and loving and caring for his sheep, be shepherded and loved and cared for by Jesus through his words in Luke chapter 12 now. Jesus asks, he says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? He says, look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? And then he encourages us in verse 29. He says, don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things, Jesus says. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father, your father church already knows your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. And your father will give you everything that you need. And Jesus is saying that God knows your needs. That God cares for your needs and he's able and he's willing and he will provide for your needs. That is a beautiful promise church to stand on in this season. And so victory over worry, it means taking our eyes off of our needs and focusing on the one who knows what we need. Instead of looking at ourselves and looking at our needs, we look at Jesus instead. Rather than focusing on what I lack, I focus on who I am and what I have in Jesus, uh, Paul taught the church in Philippi very similarly how to, how to walk in victory over worry and over uh, anxiousness in Philippians chapter four and verse six it 's a very familiar passage to many of you probably. Paul says, don't worry about anything instead, pray about everything." Notice for a second there, Paul is taking worry and he's putting it against prayer. He's saying you're either going to worry or you're going to pray. And he says, pray. Don't choose worry, choose prayer. And then he explains how to do it. Look at the next section here. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. That's what prayer is. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. And he, he describes his peace. He says, it exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts, will guard your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is telling us not only to think differently, but to communicate differently. He's saying to pray. Because when we worry, what we're doing is we're, we're talking, but we're talking to ourselves And we're talking round and round in circles. That's what worry is. That's what anxiousness is. And Paul is saying, no, you need to talk differently. Meaning, rather than talking to ourselves, just like a prisoner in solitary confinement, he's left only to talk to himself. He doesn't have anyone else to talk to. Paul is saying, no, don't, don't just talk to yourself round around in circles. Talk to God. We don't count paint chips in isolation. We talk to God. We pray. See, in his isolation, Jesus walked in the peace of God. How do we walk in peace? Well, the apostle Paul just showed us through prayer. Paul says, to pray prayers of thanksgiving, and supplication because a heart of gratitude helps our mind remember that God is sovereign a heart of gratitude helps us remember that God is powerful and that he can be trusted and in this way gratitude leads to peace see prayer when we pray we're entrusting everything to our loving father we're saying God I I, I'm going to give this to you so prayer opens up channels of communication that we're blind to when we're focusing on ourselves and when we're just focusing on our needs. Worry strangles us. Our worry will strangle us. It strangles the life, the hope, and the peace out of us. But worry also, our worry, can strangle the life, the hope, and the peace out of our family, out of the people that we're with right now. It can strangle the life, the hope, and the peace out of our home right now. But when we pray, when we lean into the truth of Scripture, and when we tell God what we need, the truth of the Word of God will cut through the stranglehold grip of fear and worry and anxiousness. See, when we take our eyes off of ourselves, when we take our eyes off of our needs, when we take our focus off of our circumstances, and when we turn to Jesus, Jesus lifts our hearts from the low places of worry. Jesus lifts our hearts from the low places of anxiousness. And as we focus on Jesus, what we find is hope, we find peace. And Paul says that is a peace that will guard and protect and fill you. And here's the truth as people, we are led by whatever we look to for direction, whatever we're looking to, We're gonna be led by. If you're looking to circumstances for direction right now, then you're gonna be led by circumstances. And if you're being led by circumstances right now, life must be crazy and scary for you. Because the circumstances in our culture are crazy right now. Listen, if you wanna stop worrying, if you wanna stop anxiousness, you're gonna need to look at Jesus. See, this isn't a magic trick, this is a choice. Several times in the New Testament, Paul gives us this simple encouragement. He says, put into practice what you've learned. Practice what you've learned. This is the best time, church, for that, to start to practice looking at Jesus rather than looking at our circumstances. Look for signs of worry, maybe that have kind of settled in, that's squatting on your heart right now, and talk to God about them. Chase off anxiousness with truth and do that before Anxiousness brings a deeper-seated deeper seated pattern of anxiety in your life. Anxious thoughts don't need to be entertained, even when they're small. Negative thoughts that we might have or negative thoughts that certainly hear, if you're, if you're watching the news at all, negative thoughts are given to God when we turn to God in prayer. Get rid of negative thoughts. Get rid of the critical spirit. And we need to do this again and again. We need to keep praying and keep talking to God, keep confessing and giving our worry and our concerns and our fear to him, keeping our eyes on Jesus, keep seeking his peace in our life and in our circumstances. Practice the things that we know, as Paul says, because God wants to give you peace right now. And he gives us peace by giving us Jesus. And so church, surrender your fear and your worry to God and receive the peace of Jesus in your life. This is a peace that guards us and protects us, our mind and our heart. And Jesus promised us this peace near the end of his life. He promised this way in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, I am leaving you with a gift. And here's Jesus's gift. He says, peace of mind and peace of heart. Boy, we could use that right now, couldn't we? And he describes this peace. He says, And the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Jesus' peace defeats fear and trouble, is what he's saying. And see, Jesus was victorious in isolation by leaning into the Word of God and by walking in the peace of God. But there's a third thing Jesus walked victorious victoriously in his isolation as he was led by the Spirit of God. I've had a deep conviction lately uh, as the weeks and weeks have carried on of this home uh, order. And I've been asking myself, who's leading me? Who's leading my family in this season of isolation? Uh, Is the news leading me? Is the news leading my family? Is is laziness leading us? Uh, Ask yourself that question right now. Is self-indulgence leading in this season? Is fear of the unknown leading in this season? Maybe for some of you, especially with kids, maybe Netflix is leading in this season right now. Well, listen, in in his victory over isolation, Jesus was led by the Spirit. Uh, Even in isolation, our time is a valuable asset. Uh, Right now, even though time is something that many of us might have more of than we usually do, time is valuable. Jesus' time was so valuable. He told his disciples that he only did what the Father told him to do. He left his time up to the Father to lead for him. His life was invested at the direction of the Father. Think about it. Jesus lived just 33 years. In only three of those years, the last three years, those are the only three years of public ministry. Jesus spent his time really well Just three years of ministry and still some of us study every little facet of Jesus' ministry every day of our life for the rest of our life. Time is that valuable. Jesus' time was that valuable. The inventor Thomas Edison, who notoriously kept himself very busy 24 hours a day, he said that time is the only capital that any human has and the only thing we can't afford to lose. Well, if that's true, if we can't afford to waste any time, then how are we supposed to spend our time in these strange isolated days where we seem to have so much of it? Well, Jesus in his wilderness isolation, he invested his heart and he invested his mind in the truth and promises of the reality of God's kingdom. let see, in order for us to walk that way, in order for us to keep a steady focus on God's kingdom, we must be led by the spirit of God. Now, Paul would encourage us this way. Uh, Paul was, would write to a young pastor that he had raised up and sent out to pastor a church by the name of Timothy. And Timothy was easily discouraged. And so Paul would send him these letters to encourage him and equip him. And 2 Timothy is one of those letters. and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we see some good words of encouragement. Take a look at that. Paul, encouraging young, discouraged Timothy, says, I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid hands on you. In verse 7, listen to this. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. Man, that is a great metric for us right now. When we're asking ourselves, am I being led by the Spirit right now? Well, look at that verse. Reference some of those things in that verse. Am I walking in timidity? Am I walking in fear? That might be a sign that that you're you're not letting yourself be led by the Spirit. You're not leaning into the presence of God. Or am I walking in the power and confidence as a child of God? Am I walking in love? Am I preferring others over my own preferences? Am I walking in self-discipline or are other circumstances or cravings or addictions controlling me in my life? See, in our Crazy season of isolation. Satan wants to trick us into feeling inadequate for this season. He wants to trick us into feeling powerless in this season. Satan wants us to feel overwhelmed right now, and he wants us to feel overwhelmed by the oppression of isolation. But listen, as we allow the power of the Spirit to flow through us, God's Holy Spirit enables us to be the victorious people that God created us to be. And He created us to be victorious even in isolation. Now, I don't always express God's love as I could, and I don't always speak and act as I should. I don't always prioritize God's priorities in my life. And even when I'm convicted of these things, oftentimes my response is selfish too. I'll restrict myself by trying to fix things myself and to take control of things myself. But see, this is what Paul was speaking into when he encourages Timothy to fan the spiritual gifts, to fan what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and wants to do through you, to fan that into flame. Because when you fan something into flame, you nurture it, you enable it, you give it priority. Church, let's fan the presence and the leading and the gifts of the Holy Spirit into flame in our lives right now. Let's fan the Holy Spirit into flame in our homes right now, allowing the Spirit to lead us and direct us and empower us. Allow the love of the Father to flow through us and enable us to be children of God right now, even in this funky season. So the enemy would love nothing more than for us to live in fear and timidity, to hide in shame, to quake in feelings of inadequacy, to feel overwhelmed by oppression. But this is not who you are, Christian. We were saved by Jesus to live our lives in Jesus. And Jesus is victorious. Friends, we have a friend who has gone before us and has walked in victory through seasons of isolation, who's declared victory from places of isolation. And we get to enjoy Jesus and follow him even now as we walk out this season of isolation. Let's walk in victory. We get to lean into the Word of God where we find truth and hope and joy in this season. We get to walk in the peace of God as we live our lives in Jesus and as we pray and talk to God. We get to be led by the spirit of God as we rest in Jesus. Maybe today you you might feel like you need to connect with God. We have created an opportunity right there in the description of this video to connect with God. Just click on the live link in the description. It's also on the homepage of our website. Uh, It says connect with God. There's people there that want to pray with you. There's people there that'll take your prayer request. There's people there if you want to know more about Jesus, we will connect you with Christians that are waiting to connect you and to teach you and to help you grow more in Jesus. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to respond as the church. We're going to draw near to God as we declare truth about God in worship. And church, it is good for us as we prepare our hearts to worship, to know that God is with us. Even though we're doing this through a camera and you are wherever you are right now, God is with you right where you are. God is moving in the midst of your circumstances God is moving in the midst of whatever is going on in your life right now. And God is working in the midst of your circumstances. He is working in your season of isolation. And the good news is God is powerful. He's faithful and he's able and willing to move and to work. And so church this morning, let's cry out to him. Let's worship him. Let's fill our homes. Let's fill our neighborhoods with praise. And as we do this, let's enjoy the presence and the victory of Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can lean into you. We thank you, Father, that we can live our lives in your presence. Help us now, Lord. Help us to know that you are near. Help us to know that you are in our midst working, that you're in our midst moving, that you're in our midst caring for all of our needs pray, Lord, for a spirit of worship now. We would worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.